Hi, everybody. Let's say it together the Apostles' Creed, shall we? Uh, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning to you and all of our campuses joined by video as well. Uh, sorry for the delay here. Uh, we have new construction now. That whole exit now is off. And it's like a rat's maze trying to get to the other campus. So we'll work it out. It'll all be good. Anyway, uh, glad to be back. We were in uh, Australia for two weeks. I was. I guess there was no we. It's just me by myself. And uh, it was uh, a, a great trip. Lots of people, thousands of people that we got a chance to speak to and stuff like that. But I was sicker than a dog the whole trip. I got the flu just before I went down. And was, I think I slept the entire time. I was waiting for rigor mortis to kick in. I mean, I'd wake up in the morning, get some breakfast, go lay down, take a two-hour nap, get up, eat some lunch, go back to another two-hour nap. Get up, preach, talk, whatever. Go back to bed all night long. Oh, just the same thing over and over again. So people ask, what did you see? Nothing. Because <clears throat> I was sick the whole time. But finally, back home, and I can breathe again. It's a lovely thing. Praise God. Hey, I want to let you know about our uh, grace-based parenting conference that's coming up with my friend Tim Kimmel. He's got great insights on how to do with uh, our children. Let's take a look at a uh, quick promotional plug. We want to send them into the future with a heart for Jesus, a passionate love for Jesus. And the way we know it's genuinely a passionate love for Jesus is that they're going to be outwardly focused with a loving concern for the people around them. Because that's the litmus test that you truly do love Jesus. Because when his love is in you, it goes outwards. It's not about yourself. It's not a selfish love. September 19th and 20th, I want to encourage all the guys from the other campuses to come. That's a great little clip there, it's, and he's dead on right. You can really tell when you get Christianity, because it's not about you anymore. You start focusing outward, and it's great for our young people to learn that, learn that it's not all about them. Uh, this morning, I want to uh, read to you from uh, the Old Testament, 2 Kings in the Old Testament, the sixth chapter. Uh, it's a story uh, around a prophet by the name of Elisha. Now, there are two prophets, very similar name. One was Elijah, and Elisha worked for Elijah, and after Elijah left, and Elisha became the prophet. So he's, he's the prophet of Israel at this time. And I want to take a look at this uh, account. It says uh, in verse 8, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. Nothing unusual there. Everybody was always at war with everybody back in those days. Uh, constantly going at each other's throats, fighting over property and lines and whatnot. Uh, and the writer here gives us a little bit of a look into uh, some of the planning uh, that the king would do, this King Aram that was fighting against Israel. He says, after conferring with his officers, 
he would get together and make a plan. You know, I'll set up my camp in such and such place and, and that sort of thing. That's, that was their, you know, very normal to get together with their uh, military advisors and come up with, you know, ways of defeating the enemy and stuff like that. Well, the next verse says that the man of God, Elisha, uh, would send word to the king of Israel. Hey, beware of passing that place because the, our Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. So here's what's happening. Every time the enemy would come up with a plan on how to attack Israel, God would tell Elisha the plan, and Elisha would tell the king, and then the king would make the adjustment to deal with the plan. So it was very frustrating to the Arameans. They're trying to wage this war that they can't get anywhere because they're always being busted and things aren't working out. And the king is really getting exasperated by this. Something is wrong. How can anybody know what we're planning constantly? So we read the next verse. It says that the king of Aram was enraged and he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Somebody's a rat. We got a mole. Somebody is ratting us out to the enemy. And I'm sick and tired of it. There's no way possible that they could know where we were setting up or what our plan was unless one of you guys is coughing up the information. Which one of you is doing it? Which one of you is a traitor? Well, one of the officers speaks up and says, well, none of us, my Lord. It's Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. And this was pretty shocking. Now, I don't know how they knew this, um, the only thing I can figure is that in Israel, it became such a common fact, and they were probably laughing about it all the time, and, you know, obviously great for Israel. <laughs> you got all this inside, <laughs> in, insider trading info constantly on the enemy, and they were probably boasting of the fact that, hey, God speaks to Elisha, we find out what's going to go, and so the word eventually gets back to the enemy, and one of these officers tells the king about it. It's all about this prophet who keeps ratting us out. Well, then the king says in verse 13, he says, well, go find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. So they go and they do their intel and stuff like that. The report came back. He is in Dothan. So then the king sends horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. So it's not a small group of special forces soldiers here. This is a big chunk of guys. We got chariots, horses, weapons, all the men and stuff like that. They surround the city. There's a lot of people involved in this move. It's a significant military move, all designed to capture one man, Elisha. Well, the next verse says that when the servant of the man of God, in other words, the guy who worked for Elisha, got up the next morning, he runs out uh, uh, early in the morning, and he sees an army with horses and chariots that surrounded the city. And his response was, oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. So now here's the uh, scenario. He gets up, he looks out, and he sees this terrible situation. And this is very threatening. Uh, it was very common in those days when an army like this would, and this is like over 4,000 years ago, it's brutal, whenever they would surround a city, they'd lay siege to it, and it was very common when they would come and they would kill everybody. 
they would kill the men and not just the military men, all the men, everybody of every age, the women, the children, the cats and dogs. I mean, they kill everything. They're literally the animals sometimes, uh, depends on how angry they were. Or sometimes they would just kill the men, take the women and, and some of the spoils or whatever. It was a, a very, very brutal time in the world. And of course, when they saw this, this guy sees this, this is an overwhelming uh, thing to look at because of the kind of violence that they would experience in those days uh, of this overwhelming force that they would come against them with. Uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned this in the first service. It'll probably get me in trouble with some people, but just it has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just my opinion. <laughs> it's a bit of a, it's not politics, partisan politics. It's just kind of a, it's my personal opinion. Uh, when, uh, you know, when you read history, uh, from all this time, we've got thousands of years of human history, and even up into fairly recent history, what's really unusual is that in very recent history, we're talking, you know, the last 20, 30, 40 years, whatever, uh, Western culture has tried to fight very sanitized wars. And uh, on the one hand, it's kind of nice that we can do that, because you don't want to kill civilians and stuff and innocent people, whatever we want to call them. Uh, and we've got the technology. We can literally send a bomb through a specific window in downtown anywhere, which is pretty amazing, and take out just, you know, what. The problem is it's gotten so sanitized that the people never pay much of a price to where they surrender. And we're never going to win over any enemies like this. It's war on terror and stuff. It's just my personal opinion. It's never going to end. Uh, you know, everybody's given Israel and all these guys, you know, so much static because, you know, innocent civilians were being killed, and that's what happens. Uh, the problem is, if you try to just go after combatants that are coming at you with a gun, the wars never end. The, if you stop and think, just not even that long ago, World War II, not that long ago, what, 70 years or whatever, 75 years, uh, you know, the United States and its allies, we killed hundreds of thousands of innocents. Civilians. We destroyed everything. Uh, we weren't targeting them, but when we came in, we would take out everything that was any kind of a threat in any way, shape, or form. It is the kind of thing that we did it to the Germans, we did it to the Italians, we did it to the Japanese in spades. Uh, you know, in one day, knock out 80,000 people, you know, in those two atomic bomb attacks. But the end result was, and it had always been through wars, is that the people paid such a high price they finally would stop. We stop. We surrender. If we would have just targeted, just really surgically, I think we'd still be at war with Germany today. You know, it just, it never ends. At some point, it's the people. Say, well, they're people. Yeah, but it's the people who support. That's their son that's carrying the gun. You know, they support all of that and stuff like that. So it just seems kind of sad to me. We've gotten so sanitized. It's great that we don't kill people like these guys used to kill people. But, uh, and the war is a horrible thing, and I wish to God that we were in any of this. But uh, anyway, that's my political thought for the day. <laughs> it's just, I don't know how, how in the world we're going to bring an end to all this if we are afraid of doing damage. Anyway. All right, so uh, let's get back to the story. Now, here's what happens when trouble strikes. There's two natural responses, and we saw it in the servant when he looked out and he saw the surrounding army and the potential doom that they were about to bring. He said two things. Number one, oh no. Everybody say, oh no. <laughs> Why would they say, oh no? Because it's 
Oh no, this is bad. What they're looking at is very, 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 very bad scenario. It's very threatening. It wasn't a calm, casual, oh no, like, oh no, I forgot to pick up the laundry, okay? This is like, oh no, we're in serious doo-doo here because these guys are coming and they're gonna kill everybody. It was a serious, oh no. So number one, the first response when we run into trouble is dread, oh no. And anyone's ever run into serious trouble knows that feeling of oh no. The second one is the phrase, what are we gonna do? Everybody say, what are we gonna do? You ever ask yourself that question? What are we gonna do? It's the next natural question. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? How are we going to deal with this? And your mind starts to race, filled with worst-case scenarios. Your brain scrambles like a rat trying to find its way out of the maze. But in that frantic buzz, it's hard to have faith. And if you really want God to change your circumstances, you have to get to a place of faith. Now, it's interesting so first thing he goes, oh, no, what are we going to do? His mind's raised. He's freaking out. It's a terrible situation. And the prophet says this to him. Don't be afraid. Not an easy thing to say, but in a situation like that, when you're really being attacked and things are going bad in your life, the first thing you have to battle is fear. Now, fear comes really in two different ways. If you look at the language of the word fear. There's the emotional version of fear, and then there's the uh, freezing version of fear that keeps you from acting or doing something. For example, that which I fear, I am afraid to do, okay? The one has to do with your emotional state, the other has to do that I cannot act now, I cannot move, I'm frozen, I'm paranoid, I don't know what to do. Uh, it's amazing how many times in the Bible you will read almost any account where they were in serious trouble and the first thing a prophet or an angel or God says to them is don't be afraid. Now, I don't think he's talking about the emotional part of you because the emotional part of you is what it is. I think what he's saying is, is don't let it freeze you. Don't freeze up because if you will freeze up and you cannot act and you cannot step out in faith, you will be in big trouble. You've got to move. It's like, you know, speaking of wars and stuff like that, when someone wins like at a Congressional Medal of Honor or something, I don't know if you've ever read some of the stories of some of these winners. It's stunning what these guys do. These guys have some serious guts that in, in incredible circumstances. If you ever get a chance to just read some of the stories of some of these recipients, it's rather stunning. And people often ask them, you know, weren't you afraid? And they all go, yeah, <laughs> I was terrified. They had the same emotional response that everybody else has. Absolutely gripping fear, a pure terror shooting through them. But it didn't freeze them. They were still able to act. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to act in spite of the fear. So uh, that's what these people are doing. That's what makes them these incredible heroes because most people, when they get that emotional thing, they freeze, they cannot act. So the first thing he says to him, look, don't be afraid or fear will freeze you. And then he says this, he says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, you have to look at the scenario. Here, the servant is freaking out, going, oh no, what are we going to do? Anyone who's ever been in trouble knows those words come flying out of your mouth. 
and the racing in your mind and stuff like that. And Elijah says two things to him. One, hey, don't be afraid. And number two, he says, look, there's more on our side that's on their side. Elijah was as cool as a cucumber in the face of this huge army. He didn't break a sweat. He probably had a little grin on his face the whole time. Didn't bother him in the least because Elijah could see something that his servant could not see. What was it? Well, we find out next. In verse 17, it says, Elisha prayed to the Lord, says, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So all of a sudden, he gets a picture. The reason that Elisha's so calm and cool, even though there's this army coming to get him, the army that's on his side is way bigger. It's just that the servant couldn't see it, but Elisha could see it the whole time. He was calm. It kind of reminds me of that movie, you know, Crocodile Dundee. I love this movie. It's a great movie. Classic, right? And there's this scene where Dundee is in New York City, and he's got this chicky poo with him, whatever her name was. Uh, and uh, they're going, and all of a sudden, somebody tries to, to mug them. And a guy pulls out a knife. And the girl screams, he's got a knife! And Dundee just smiles and goes, well, that's not a knife. <laughs> He pulls out that graving knife he has. He goes, that's a knife. <laughs> and the other guy goes, ah, and he takes off running. That's a great scene, you know. Oh, I wasn't he worried because he knew that what he had was way bigger than what the other guy had. And there was nothing to be afraid of. That was basically the response that Elisha is having at this point. The servant doesn't see it. All he sees is the other army. And uh, Elisha's comes a cucumber and he finally prays for the guy else and he can now see what the other guy can see. Listen, when you start to understand and you're able to see that the knife you're carrying is bigger than the knife that's coming at you, it changes everything. Fear goes, a sense of calm can come, and in a spiritual situation, that needs to happen before faith can build. The fear has to go, the calm has to come, and the faith has to build. And the only way you can get there is when you start to be able to see what God can see. You want to get to a place of faith. Why? Because Jesus said that with faith, anything is possible. Everybody say anything. Anything's possible if you have enough faith. So when you encounter trouble, let me give you these three very simple uh, words of encouragement in this simple message this morning. Number one, don't try to reason with your emotions, okay? Uh, your emotions are what they are. They're just crazy. Anybody's ever had emotions on what I'm talking about? Just, ah, and they tend to be, you try to reason with the most unreasonable part of you. And if your emotions are going nuts and stuff like that, that's okay. Who cares? Try to calm them as best you can, but don't let it freeze you. It's not about the state of your emotions. It's about what you're willing to do. All right? Number two, don't try and figure out what to do. And that's hard to do. Because when you're going through it, your mind races and you're in a struggle. What am I going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And your mind will run and it will spin. And the problem is panic. It feeds the panic and fear. And it will freeze you. And you can't get to a place of faith. Instead of trying to figure out, and look, you're going to eventually have to get to a what are we going to do. But it doesn't have to happen right. Unless you're going to die in the next three minutes, just relax a little bit. All right? God has an answer. Say, so what is it? I don't know. But he does, all right? What your focus needs to be is to see what God is seeing. And you do that intentionally. 
Everybody say intentionally. <laughs> all right, I'm making you say all kinds of words today. Faith doesn't come because you're lucky. It's not, you don't get faith because Pastor Bob has magic, you know, prune juice and sprinkles it on people or something like that, you know? Or you just come and you sing the right song and you just have faith. Faith, you get to faith on purpose. It's intentional. And you do it intentionally. Listen, here's what happens. When you get into a situation where it's, oh no, what are we going to do? You will eventually come up with something like, I need this. And to be so focused on the fact that I need this, that the fear never stops. You never really get to a place of faith. I see it with some of y'all. You come up and pray and you say, Pastor, help me. And the whole time you're there, all you can do is, Pastor, I need this, I need this, I need this. And I just, you know, what are you going to do? I don't yell at you. I smile and give you a hug and pray for you the best I can. But I know you need to get off of this. That's really not what you need right now. What you need is a place of faith. You need to get to a place where you can get calm and you get out of the, oh no, what am I going to do? Because as long as you stay in the, oh no, what am I going to do? You can't possibly get to faith. And it's faith that brings miracles. Always remember, it's not panic that brings miracles. It's not crying that brings miracles. It's not sadness that brings miracles. It's not that God doesn't care, but that's not what moves miracles. If that moved miracles, we'd see miracles everywhere. Right? Because everybody's freaked out. Everybody's crying about something. Everybody's got some bad, heartbreaking story that's wrenching, and some of them are quite stunning. But it doesn't change anything if you don't get to a place of faith. Whatever you think you've come into that, I need this. It's not what you need. Not right now. What you need first is to get to a place of faith. And you get there on purpose. Say, Pastor, how do you get there? You get there intentionally. Number one, you pray. And not pray, oh God, what am I going to (laughs) do? Because... All that is, is a version of your fear, right? What's the version of fear? Oh no, what am I gonna do? Oh no, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna pray. God, oh no, what am I gonna do? What's changed? Nothing. Now you're just yelling at God. You're still freaked out. You still got the willies coming out of your eyeballs and you're getting the pastor. Everybody's like, oh, what, what am I gonna do? Is not faith. You need to get to a place where you can talk calmly to God, confidently to God about your situation. You get into the scriptures. The Bible says faith comes by hearing the word of God. Get the Bible inside of you. Having a Bible won't do you jack if you don't read it. It is not a talisman. Are you hearing me? I got a Bible. Yeah, listen, you can sit on that Bible. You can put it under your bed. It's not going to do anything for you. The devil's sitting on that Bible laughing at you. Bible doesn't mean jack. You got to read it. You got to get it inside of you. What good does that do? The Bible says it brings faith. Remember, you don't need this. And when you're in a panic, that's all you think you need. And some of you right now who are in a panic right now, you can't even hear what I'm saying. Because all you can still hear, despite my cute little words this morning, all you're still hearing in your head is, oh no, what am I going to do? Pastor, I need this. I need a pre-pass and pre-pray when I get this. No, that's not what you need. You need to get to a place of faith. Pray, read the scriptures. Fasting, that's a lot of fun. (laughs) You know what fasting is? You don't eat. And despite the word fast, 
it's one of the longest days you'll ever have. One thing about fasting, it ain't fast, man, at all. You know, you feel like you're gonna die. Ah, how long has it been? 20 minutes. Ah! So why does fasting work? I don't know. I just know it does, and the Bible tells us to do it. It's a way to tell your body, shut up. Because your body's the one that's gonna be screaming at you, oh no, what am I gonna do? Quit feeding it, and it changes the subject. Seriously. It absolutely shuts it off. Because you go a day or two without food, and by the way, you're not going to die. You think you're going to die. I go 20 minutes, I think I'm going to die. If you're healthy, man, you can go 40 days without food. Seriously. I can't imagine 40 minutes, but 40 days. Certainly a few days will not kill you. In fact, it will some of us a great deal of good. <laughs> but it tells your body to shut up. Because when your body just wants to yell, oh, no, what do we got to do? You quit feeding. All it's going to say is, when are we going to eat? It really starts shutting down. It starts shutting down the fear. It changes the subject in your body. It's, it's, it's absolutely powerful. And somehow it gets God's attention. You get to a place of faith on purpose. You pray, you read the Bible, you fast, you go to church, you sing, you try to get positive input into you, all in the quest for faith. And I wish I could tell you it'll happen just like that. It doesn't. Sometimes it'll happen just like that. Sometimes it'll take days of that constant struggle. Sometimes it'll take weeks. The bad situations can take months. Before, before, that's just before you can get to the place of faith. Forget the what am I going to do. But you've got to let go of the what I'm going to do and get a hold of God. Because what you want to do first and foremost is you want to be able to see what God can see. And the only one who knows that is God. What you need is not this. You need him. It's powerful. And then the answers come. And they can come in all kinds of ways. So, Pastor, how my, how's my answer going to come? I haven't a clue. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. But God does. And he shows up in all kinds of amazing ways. Let's finish the story here and see what happens for Elisha. Now, first thing is bad news. Verse 18. As the enemy came toward him. Now, unlike Crocodile Dundee where the enemy ran away. That was a movie. This is real life. The enemy comes right at him. Now you would think, wait a minute, I'm in a place of faith. I got a bigger army. I don't care. God's on my side. It's all going to be good. What's the very next step? The enemy comes at you. Sometimes when you get to a place of faith, I know it sounds crazy, but things can get worse before they get better. And it'll mess with you. You think, wait a minute. I've got a plan. I'm in faith. I'm trusting God. I've been praying fast. I'm seeking God. And all of a sudden it's getting worse. Yeah. The enemy will push you. They will test. See what you're made of. I love what Elijah does here. He prays. He says, oh, Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elijah had asked. Then Elisha told him, this is not the road. This is not the city. Follow me, and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. Now, let me give you the context here, because this is really funny. And uh, these guys are lousy storytellers. Let me tell you how this plays out, because this is really hilarious. When Elijah prays, God strike them with blindness. 
Everyone assumes they went physically blind. I don't think that's what happened. Let me tell you why I don't think that happened. Because what Elijah does is then he leads the army to another place, and they all followed him. Hard to do if you're blind, physically. Remember, they got horses, they got chariots, men, weapons. If all of a sudden they all literally went physically blind, they'd all been in a panic. Wouldn't you? When everybody in this place all of a sudden, we can't see anything, I think people would be freaked out and uh, in a bit of a panic. Here's what happens. This is what I think happens. <coughs> if you disagree with me, who cares? I think God struck them with a sense of situational blindness, apparent blindness. In other words, I think they just all of a sudden didn't realize where they were and nothing was clear to them. Boom, this blanket kind of just falls on them. And then what next happens is hilarious because all of a sudden they're coming and they're kind of confused. And Elijah says this, hey guys, you're on the wrong road. You know, follow me. I'll, I'll lead you to the man you're looking for which is hilarious because he's the man they're looking for. <laughs> all right? So these guys, they're all kind of stunned. Hey, guys, you're on the wrong road. Here, follow me. I'll show you, I'll show you where the guy is. Follow me. And they all followed him. <laughs> which is like the Pied Piper. This is hilarious. I don't think they were all blind because they'd all have to hold hands, you know, like a kindergarten group. You know, hold on to your buddy's hand, everybody. You know, they're, they're, there's an army, all these weapons, horses, chariots. He just comes, he's calm as a cucumber, says, hey, hey guys, you're on the road here, come on, follow me, I'll show you how to get these guys. So they all just start following him. And Elijah's just got to be grinning from ear to ear. As <laughs> all these dummies are following him, right? Because they don't know where they are. And he marches them right into the heart of Israel, which they're in Samaria. So they go right into the heart of Israel. And I, you know, I wish they'd get more detail. This has got to be hilarious. Because as they're coming into this heart, all the Israeli army has got to be looking at them. And here comes this thing, and they're just following Elisha. And Elisha's probably going. <laughs> and he's just leading them all. It's hilarious. So he gets right in the middle of the enemy situation. Or gets right in the middle of Israel. He says, after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open their eyes now so they can see. Well, the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and now they're thinking, oh, no, what are we going to do? <laughs> because now they're surrounded by the enemy. And the king of Israel, I mean, he brought them right up to the king. They're right in the heart of where, where they shouldn't be. And the king says to Elijah, should I kill him? Should I just kill them all? And Elijah says, no, don't kill them. He says, would you kill people that you captured with your own sword or bow? And then he does something very unusual, especially in this time and age, because they really had no qualms about killing enemies. <laughs> There's a lot more they killed them than they didn't. But in this case, they didn't. And Elisha says, listen, set some food for them. Give them water uh, so they can eat and drink and then let them go. And the king, who had obviously at this point really listened to what Elisha said, he did exactly that. Not only did he feed them, the Bible says he prepared a great feast for them. So here they are in the worst possible scenario. They're surrounded by their enemies and their enemies sit down and give them a Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> and they got a turkey and the dressing and everything. They're having a great time. And then when he gets done, he lets them go. And the very last words here say, so the bands from Aram 
stopped raiding Israel's territory. The war stopped. Interesting end. They chose to give them kindness when they deserved death. And in giving them kindness, the fighting with them stopped. Now, is that what happened every time they had a situation like this? No. In fact, if you read what happened, and the Bible is full of these guys getting in big trouble, and God shows up to get them out. The how he does it always changes. There is no pat, what are we going to do? It's not formulaic. Because God will always come in, and the what you're going to do always seem to change. In this case, it was this story. Every time, it was a little bit different. The good news is God does always show you what to do if you'll get to the place of faith. My encouragement to you today, if you're facing something really traumatic, and we all face different things, the focus, remember, isn't what do I do. The focus needs to be, God, help me to see what you see. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your kindness and your grace in our lives. Lord, there's a lot of people uh, listening to me right now that are in various stages in life, different challenges and things that they're facing. And the easy, absolute programmed response in us is, oh no, what are we going to do? And our minds race and our hearts race and the fear builds, but it doesn't accomplish anything. Lord, help us to learn to calm ourselves. And help us to intentionally get to a place of faith so that we can see what you see. Because when we can see what you see, everything changes. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.